This is Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care, where we have insightful conversations about parenting for bio, foster, adoptive, or blended families to better understand the experiences we all face as families. Hello, everyone. If you're a teen who has experienced foster care and you wonder how you're ever going to navigate the journey to adulthood, we have a new community who can help you in Utah. I'm Deborah Lindner with Utah Foster Care, and I'm here with my co-host, Liz Rivera. Liz, we have two people that know a lot about helping kids in foster care. They do. And what I find, I don't know, amusing or funny is we've actually had both of them on the podcast before in different podcasts. So we had Alexa on to talk about the First Star program probably almost two years ago. And then we had Natalie on with Youth in Care to talk about the lived experience and Utah DCFS's lifting up of lived experience. And she's a lived experience coordinator. And now they're still doing the same kind of work, but in a different setting. So we'd love to hear about that setting. Yes, we're here to talk about the 1999 Collective. Tell us about it. Thank you all so much for having Natalie and myself. We really appreciate being here and being part of the Utah foster care community. The 1999 Collective is a community of foster care alumni and allies, and we are dedicated to providing resource connection and support to the foster care alumni community in Utah. Importantly, we are foster care alumni co-led and co-directed. So foster care alumni who have been in this system as teenagers are an integral part of everything that we're doing internally, externally, and everything we aspire to do as we grow and build. And Natalie, you're one of those lived experience experts. I am. Hey, y'all. My name is Natalie Clark. I am 24 years old, and I spent six years here in Utah's foster care system, broken up as a baby and also a teen. So I have had the wonderful experience of being able to be an advocate for other young people in the system. And now we're creating a whole new idea and framework of how to make sure young people are getting resourced. And I couldn't be more ecstatic about the way and direction we're heading with the lead of lived expertise at the forefront. Who is your audience for this, for people listening or foster parents or families supporting kids? Tell us who you're interested in talking with, what age, tell us that. I think it can be as simple as, do you know somebody that's been in foster care? Have you been in foster care? Are you in foster care? Are you an adult that is supporting a young person currently in foster care or formerly in foster care? I think our audience can be anyone who knows about foster care, as simple as, do you not have experience in foster care, but want to help? the foster care experience. I wouldn't limit our audience to just one demographic, although we are specifically trying to aim our information and pass along resources and connections to young people that have experienced foster care after the age of 13 in the state of Utah. Regardless of how their case closed, not if you only aged down or you had to have done some type of specific case closure, you just have had to have been in the foster care system after age of 13. We'll do everything in our power to get you resourced and connected. Wonderful. And that focus on 13 and older is primarily because of the resources that are limited 
to that age group. It's not like you don't care about kids who came into foster care younger. It's just that the resources that are available are for adolescents. Absolutely. And trust me, one day our big hopes and dreams is to change that so it is not just limited to young people above the age of 13. But as of right now, we do want to make sure that we are providing things that are actually going to help. So in our search, that's what we found so far. And there are so many resources out there, right, Alexa? Some that teens and their families may not even know about. So we've found in our experience that there's often youth who might be receiving one scholarship, but don't realize that they're also eligible for ETV funding or TAL funding. Or we find that certain funding sources are really only for a very narrow group of people And there's more out there, but it just requires a lot of legwork and a lot of tenacity to maybe uncover what those resources are. And so we're hoping to make that easier for our community. And one thing, both of you, as we mentioned, have been working with this population in different ways. What led you to start this, the 1999 Collective, of feeling like there was a space and a need for what you guys are doing? In working with people, we've all seen a lot of gaps in services and support, especially among the older population in Utah, so the teen and young adult population who have experienced foster care. And one of the things we've also noticed is that there's like a national trend toward like really involving lived experience at the forefront of creating solutions, but that There was not much happening in those areas here in Utah. So how we came to be was very organic. We just started having conversations with each other. We started meeting at my house and covering my walls in post-it notes that were color-coded around different gaps we see or experience or hear about or have lived and ideating a lot on what a small group of folks like ourselves might be able to do if we come together. And I would also add, I've had the pleasure and just been blessed to be in spaces that did uplift loved experience and the expertise that comes from us lived experts. And I knew from the very start at those experiences, this is something I wanted to create in my own state because I hadn't seen it before. And I knew how valuable and needed it really was. I think there's this beautiful, beautiful need for something that is disconnected from child welfare to be providing these services and be a connection point. I think there's a lot of different ways that all of us as organizations can serve and we all have a role that we can play. And I think us as lived experts are uniquely able to step into the role of being the in-between, right? The person that you can count on when you've maybe experienced others not been able to count on them in the past or another experience that makes you hesitant to go back and ask for help or whatever it may be. I think that has proven to me that we are we are more than capable and we are the ones that should be doing this work. And that led to the beautiful fruition of what it is now is showing that we are doing this work and we're going to continue to do so. Natalie, when you get a call from a teen and they find out you've been through their same experience, they must just open up. It's almost like an immediate reaction. We immediately start joking about something and it just opens up a whole new gate. It's like you feel like a padlock or a safe got unlocked. You know what I mean? You finally turn all those codes and there's this one connection that can trump any other misconnection or I don't know you well enough, but I do know this one thing 
And that allows me to know that I can open up about anything related to that. And that is the true blessing that I've seen. So I want to talk just really briefly about just the idea of lived experience. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about that old phrase, nothing about us without us. And Deborah and I have been around, I'm sure Alexa has too, for a while and have seen a lot of attempts to try to help different populations. But I think what's been missing is that lived experience. And it seems like in the last, just in the last like maybe three to four years, there's been a like a cultural shift where finally we're like, oh, maybe these kids do have an idea of what they need. And maybe we should listen to them. And I'm wondering, like, how did that shift happen where we started actually listening to the people who lived this? I think this comes down to many different levels, right? On, on the national network platforms, we've been screaming this for years. We've been doing this work. We have shadow days. We have a lot of different organizations dedicated to ensuring young people are involved in anything from the policy to the education and everything else. And Quite frankly, I think they just got sick of us saying it, let us do it and said, all right, do it. And now we've proven ourselves that we're more than capable and we're showing up and showing out. So I think there is a lot of honor that needs to go to the work that has been done from all the foster alumni before me. There are young people that I've connected with that are in their 30s and 40s and have been doing this work and been screaming till their voices are out about nothing about us without us and this is the space we need to be give us a seat at your table or we will build our own chair and sit there you know what i mean so i really think there is some honor that goes to so many generations of young adults and youth that have been impacted by the system that go back in and try to change it and say this is the change that needs to be seen that people are finally hearing and it's been said for a really long time I remember somebody, Alexa, in your program who had been out of foster care for a number of years, and you were able to get her help in getting involved in an apprenticeship program so that she's going to get some skills that can help her really build a life for herself and her child. Yes. And that's one of the things that I think we're very passionate about. Our first and initial focus is on education, so making sure that folks are really understanding and accessing the so supports that are already available. For example, the Pell Grant, all youth who've experienced foster care after age 13, regardless of how your case closed, is eligible for the full Pell Grant. The full Pell Grant in this coming academic year is over $7,000 which is more than slick tuition. It's more than many trade school tuitions. And the Pell Grant can go to trade schools and can go to a number of things that aren't a four-year college. And so many people may not know that they actually are eligible for the Pell Grant. They may not know how to access it. They may not know how to fill out the form to receive that funding. And so one of our goals is really making sure that people know, yes, about the trade schools and about Job Corps and about different options beyond or in addition to four-year institutions that might be a better fit for folks. And then also how to afford them because there is money out there. It's just complicated to get to it sometimes. Besides knowledge and resources, what are some of the things that keeps our kids from pursuing secondary education? I really think it comes down to the knowledge and the resources as well as a support system, right? If you have no one to guide you through it, how are you expected to do it? You know what I mean? A majority of us are first-generation college students. None of us have someone to really walk us through those steps. 
whereas a lot of students do traditionally have that. So I think it would really just come down to not only the resources and the knowledge, but the support system. And I think those are the three pillars that I would dedicate it to. Because I'd say if I have all those three things and it's something the youth wants to do, of course, if that's something they're interested in doing, then there is not many other reasons why they couldn't other than those barriers, right? I would also add to that, Natalie, sometimes I think some of the very basic necessities of life, if those are not in place, housing, transportation, mental health support, yeah. If those are not established, it can be so difficult to feel ready to pursue and then to succeed in post-secondary education. We've just had a donor willing to help us start a basic needs fund, which we're hoping will be able to help our foster care alumni in those moments of instability where the utility payment is higher than normal because it was cold or your rent was increased or your car tires blew. And those, I think, for young people can sometimes have really devastating consequences. They might be like small hurdles for some people, but for, I think, foster care alumni who without a strong support network that can really like cause housing instability. It can really cause dropping out of school. And so making sure that a lot of those pieces are accessible quickly is something that I think can really help youth stay on track with education and even be willing to start education in the first place. A lot of kids, when they reach age 18, Natalie, you've heard this many times, they don't want to have anything to do with the system because it was the system that put them into foster care in the first place. How do you face that and how do you connect with them on that? I get it because I didn't want anything to do with it either. I understand the complex feelings that can come with having to reconnect with a system that truly has caused you harm. And I think that's why our mission is so important to create the space that we're creating that is separate from the agency or the experience that has caused harm. And we are a community of young adults who have also experienced many of those same things. So I think that's where the value comes in this, because even in my past experiences and the different things that I've done professionally, it's still hard unless you are not the system because the system has its feelings attached to it for every young person that has touched it. But being able to connect on that level of we've both felt different things and similar things, let's talk about it and see how we can grow from it and heal from it, but not let that harm or hurt that's been caused hurt us in the future by not accessing these resources that we truly need, right? Being able to frame it in enough hurt and harm has been caused. We've been set back enough from all those school changes and all of those things that displaced us from being as ahead as some of our peers. So let's take what we can to get back what we should already have. One thing that you guys mentioned was that sometimes at maybe 18, they're just not ready, but at 22, they are. And, and you guys are going to be there when they're ready. Yeah, I, absolutely. And we have to remember that young people that have experienced the system, we're at all different places. We may be 18, but we may not be 18. So there is a level of readiness that has to be there. And I think 
even right now with the services that are available, they're also restricting because they don't allow young people to get that time they need to separate from the system and do their own healing and to grow up a little bit. Straight out of high school, not a lot of young people have their minds straight set on, how am I going to survive the rest of our life? But unfortunately for young people leaving the foster care system, that's the exact mode that is necessary in order to survive, right? There isn't those backup safety nets, but whenever they are ready, we will be there to support them because we're all going to be running at different stages and places and there needs to be space help for that. Yeah, one area I've seen it's a lot is in going to therapy. I know like some young people who've seen 16 different therapists in their teenage years while they were in the system. It makes perfect sense to me that might not want to see another therapist for a long time at age 30 or 35. It feels like a good time to return to doing that. And at that point, having a community like us where somebody can turn to to find a referral for somebody who's worked with system impacted youth or a therapist who is a therapist of color or LGBTQ affirming, those things can be really important at any age. Along with this, you mentioned the system, but part of what young people need to know is that your name comes from government support for such programs like this. Tell us about that. Yeah, the name 1999 Collectives is in reference to the Foster Care Independence Act, which passed in 1999, which established the first and most major federal legislation for youth transitioning out of foster care. It still exists. So that's what funds like the educational training vouchers and some of the funding that Tal gets. And so it's a great resource. I think, unfortunately, nationally, not everybody who is eligible to receive that funding knows it exists and receives it. So I think nationally, only 37% of people who are eligible to get funding through that particular legislation gets it. And in Utah, that's much lower. That's maybe around 5%. And so Utah had some catching up to do to help make sure that those resources are getting into the hands of the young people who are eligible to receive them. And so we named ourselves after that legislation in order to hopefully increase people's access to those supports and then as well build upon similar types of supports in our state. So this is probably a whole different podcast that I'm venturing into right now. But Natalie, I'd love to hear like, Today, what can those of us who are involved in the system do to make the system less traumatizing? So when kids do get to the end of whatever that journey is, that we haven't hurt them so much. There's so many different things we can do. I think there's things that can be done before even a young person enters your home or your life or before you even do a conversation while you're interacting with them throughout their lives um, and as well as after. So it's It really is, of course, its own whole podcast. But one of the biggest things that I'd like to touch on, because we are trying to focus a lot on the young people that have exited the foster care system, is remembering the drop-off is what we call it. As soon as you're turning 18, everyone disappears. They're gone. All of those support networks and people that were there and that were going to help and guide you along the way, or at least we're supposed to, drop off. And the second drop-off is that 23, right? Because those resources and supports have now been dropped off and you're left with whatever you're left with, right? So I think power and remembering that foster care or being a foster youth doesn't just stop at the age of 18. 
and those connections and those relationships really are valued by many of us and are important and an integral part to our success. I think if it wouldn't have been those social workers that stuck around or the foster parent that is an amazing Utah foster care employee, if they wouldn't have stuck around and checked on me and just made sure I was okay doing those things of telling me they were proud of me and they believed in me, the simple things, I can't say that I would be where I'm at today without them cheering me on. So I think there's a part that we forget of just like, oh, they're out now, but we're never really out. So supporting us beyond us exiting care is so important. What would you add to that, Alexa? The only thing I would add is mainly what I hear from young people who have exited foster care is just like Natalie, what Natalie said, how meaningful and important it is to have moments with adults that are like loving and full of connection and for adults to reach back out on a regular basis to just keep those connections alive. Alexa, that's an important point for foster parents. We've heard from many foster parents that even though there wasn't an adoption or the kids have left their home, they're still supporting them emotionally, still helping them out. And that is just so important. The other thing for foster parents to know is write down this information that we have on the website about how to connect with 1999 Collective. If your child won't call, maybe you can call and at least get some information so you can talk them into to going. But yeah, this is great. I was an adoptive mom of a child that we adopted overseas. And when it came time to him being 18, there were a lot of things that I didn't know. And I didn't have anybody to support me in that way. So don't feel like you've got to do it all yourself. It's really important for us to create a community, not only for former foster youth, right? Because, of course, the experience of foster care is so isolating. Leaving foster care can be even more isolating. But I think foster care is just as isolating for those people that are trying to help us navigate it, right? Because it is hard and nobody else understands it. And then all of a sudden this burden is just shared between us and nobody knows what to do. So I think we really really want to be that support network for not only foster youth, but for the people that are supporting our young people, because sometimes we will or we won't be the best person to guide them through it. But what we can do is provide you the assistance you need to guide them through it. If they choose you're the person they want to guide them through it, we have the information readily available and we will help you help them. That's great. And one thing we talked about, too, is that you guys are also aware of other groups that are working in the similar space and you guys are working together. And you can refer kids and families as needed. And so Deborah mentioned that we're going to make sure we have on the episode page your information. I'd recommend folks follow you guys on Instagram. It just I think it was yesterday you guys posted something about a skate party or something. And it looked like a lot of fun. So it sounds like you guys are having fun as well as providing those concrete kind of resources that, that people need. Fun is core to everything we do. And it should be. It should be. I want to mention one more thing. You don't have to wait till you're 18 to call the 1999 Collective. There are programs up at the U that even start out kids in the young teens with getting to know the idea about going to college. Yeah, so we, we're happy to connect anyone, foster parent, caseworker, who's working with a person who's 13 or older to, to some of the resources in our state. I think you were talking about First Star. That's up at the University of Utah, Deborah. We also are happy to meet with folks and their caregivers who are younger than age 18 to discuss 
what resources are available when they do become 18 to discuss navigating educational funding, to discuss how to apply to the FAFSA as an independent. So we're really happy to work with not just 18 plus year olds, but those who are younger, who are readying and preparing for that transition. And I would almost add, please do not wait until age 18, because in a way that almost sets a young person up to fail, right? How many years do the traditional non-foster care system impacted young person get to prepare for adulthood? That's quite many, right? They have a lot of guiding moments to help them learn how to do the things. So please don't wait until 18 to just even start these discussions of how this is going to be navigated, because as the 18-year-old that had it presented to them saying, okay, here's all your options and you're off to the races. It doesn't work well. (laughs) That's not authentic. That's not supportive. So make sure these young people feel loved by knowing that they are guided through every step and that this is a stages and in bite. You don't have to eat it all yourself in the first one bite sitting when there's no safety net at the end, right? Right now, Young people have a really great opportunity to be supported because there's a safety net. There's a fallback to be learning and trying, but that does not exist after their age 18, 23, right? Those lessons. So please do it as soon as possible. Please reach out, even if you're no longer in foster care anymore. So you're 16 and your case closed when you're 15 and you're reunified. Or if you're a foster parent who worked with a teenager and they went reunified, but you're still in touch, please reach out anyway. I think one of the unique things that we're doing is working with families that and young people that are not eligible to receive services from other places. And so I want to make sure that everyone is, it, it does not matter when you left care after age 13 or how you left care after age 13, we will try and work with you. This is just so exciting. Alexa Hudson and Natalie Clark of the 1999 Collective. What a great name for this community of people that care. So even if you don't have kids in foster care, there are ways you can help. So again, we're going to have the website 1999collective.org and TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Those are all ways to connect. I want to thank both of our guests for coming by to tell us about this great new organization that is less of an organization and really more of a community, which I love. Thank you as well to my co-host, Liz Rivera, and our producer, Marshall Shear Davis. Remember, you don't have to know everything to become a foster parent or to help a foster family or child in foster care. For details on foster parenting and ways to get involved, go to utahfostercare.org. I'm Deborah Lindner. This has been Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care. Thank you for joining us. For more information, go to utahfostercare.org. We'll see you next time.